I'm from the north where Christmas looks and feels a little bit different, but I'm getting used to this. And, um, it's just good to be together. This series I'm very excited about, a God who never changes in an ever-changing world. I'm excited about it because I've, I've realized lately the depth of our changing world and how we as a culture have kind of grown accustomed to it. And so we're going to talk about this a bit. I want to pray as, as we get started. I know we just prayed for the offering. Um, I want to pray that, that God meets us because that's really what we need, right? You don't need anything clever. We just need to meet him. And I, I believe that, that God still meets us. And yeah, so man. let's pray and ask him to do just that. And then we'll, we'll get into some scripture together. Jesus, I, I feel like this time of year, we're a little bit more aware of you. And thanks for that. And just like you came and entered into this world, into Bethlehem, into that manger, I, we pray that you would enter into this space. And we thank you for the ways that you're already stirring us with, with singing and with worship, but we pray that you would stir us with your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak directly to our hearts, that we would leave here more aware of you, more anchored in the truth and the reality that you're still God. And so we give you this time. In your name, amen. Well, this morning as we're we're preaching, I, I do really pray that God meets you, but also in this space, I've been praying that this would be like deep breaths for you. Just because we, man, we go too fast. Um, I'm just praying that God allows you to breathe deep. You know, even when you breathe deep, sometimes you yawn. That's okay. A couple of my friends have told me that my spiritual gift is I put them to sleep. And if that's needed, that's okay. Like, we just need, uh, there, there's, a, there's this tribe that, I've told you the story before, that, that walked real far for like a week. And then they stopped in the middle of the desert. And they stopped for, I believe it was three days. And somebody who was outside asked, why did you stop? You were making up so much ground. Why did you stop walking now? And they said, well, we're waiting for our souls to catch up to us. We had moved too fast. In a little bit, I feel like that's us. And so this morning, let's let our souls, our emotions, let's let all of this catch up to us as we, we look into this unchanging God and ever-changing world. I, I realized over the last month that our, our culture, we have an unbelievable appetite for expiring information. We just, we love to consume that. It's like Cheetos. And we just can't get enough. Maybe Cheetos aren't that for you. Cheetos sound disgusting until I have 14 bags. Then they sound awesome. You, you have one and you want like a billion others until your fingers are six inches thick with orange goo. We just have this appetite for what's expiring. And we pick like the, the low-hanging fruit is 24-hour news, right? The 24-hour the news cycle 
that expires every six minutes and then slightly changes and you have to be aware. But it's also how we consume like sports. It's also how we consume uh, pop culture. It's how we consume everything. It's just this constant expiring information. And the way that I, like, I feel like I like books, so maybe this isn't me. I don't watch the news. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe I'm a little exempt from this. Until I went on that trip and came back and realized I had like 30 podcasts that were completely worthless on my phone that I downloaded. And they were worthless because they were like three days old. And three days old, if it has anything to do with the news or culture, like, well, it's, it's just way too old. Why even bother listening? And so I was like, why do I spend so much time listening then? If it's going to expire tomorrow, why do I bother listening today? But it's not even just the wasted time. It's the importance that we put on this. It's the level of importance that we say, oh, we, we have to, to know all of this. And the supremacy that we put on it. I want to be aware of what's going on, as particularly in our city, particularly in our church. I want to know what this neighborhood, what's going on here. I think all of that's important, but, but sometimes this expiring information, we say that that is the most important thing that's out there, and we miss a lot. So there's this, this uh, cultural artifact, I would call it, that people have been studying called the recency effect. And it's, it's this, it's that you're given a list of items to remember, and they're running like experiments on this. You're given a list of items to remember, and we will tend to remember the last few things. So if there's 15 things to remember, you might remember the last two, three. If you're really good at memory, you might remember the last six things. But we also, it's not just that we remember the last things, it's that we assume the items at the end of the list are more important or more significant. So whatever the newest item to be added onto your list, that's the one that's most significant in your life. Now, if you're somebody who tries to-do lists, I do this every now and then, I'll make a to-do list. It never makes sense to me that I want to check off the one that I wrote last first. But I think that's kind of what this is talking to. The things that I wrote first just seem less, less important. And what happens in our life when we have this list of things that we know and lists of truths that we know, whatever we've known the longest becomes the least relevant because we've known it the longest. And whatever is newest, we act like that's the most important. If that's just the way we handle the news or something like that, it's not a big deal. Well, it is, but I mean, it's less of a big deal. We're not going to spend a weekend preaching on it, but it creeps into our faith. And that's what really matters. I've noticed that we want to, like we come to a verse that's familiar, we preach on a verse that's familiar, and we just scan it or ignore it, or we remember what we heard before, and we like turn off our brain, but we also turn off like our receptor to God. I've already heard God speak about this, so I don't need to again. And we're just done, which is really hard when you come to like the Christmas story, because, like, the Christmas story, there's kind of two of them, and we've kind of heard them before. And sadly, a lot of us are like, well, there's nothing new for me in the Christmas story, so there's nothing for me in the Christmas story because I already know it. It's a really dangerous way to live. We want new thoughts about God more than we want true thoughts about God. And that's going to lead us to a place where... Well, our faith is thin. 
and our foundation is weak. Now, this isn't a problem that's like just for our generation. We see this in, in the New Testament. In 2 Peter, we see second, the people that the letter of 2 Peter are written to. There's a whole bunch of things going on. But this is on our, our program. This is a, a key verse. The Lord is not slow about his promise. It's something of slowness. But is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We think everything needs to be immediate and microwaved. We, we think everything needs to be now. And if God is faithful, then he should do everything that I think he should do, and he should do it now. And if he doesn't, then I get six things newer on my list, and those become the things that are most important. This is how we see it during the week. Here's what happens. We come to church on Sunday, like right now. We sing a song about God moving mountains, and we believe it, and we mean it. But the problem is Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday, we get three, four new things to be anxious about, and they're newer. And so because they're newer, they're more important. And this fact that we can trust God becomes kind of old. And instead of that meaning that it's foundational, because we've known it for a long time, we act like the newest thing is the most important. A lot of us feel this every week. And we feel it so strong by the time we come to Saturday that we can't come back on Sunday because we're just discouraged or defeated or worn out. But we don't have to live into this cycle. God has something different for us. So this Christmas season, here for the next five weeks, we're going to celebrate that God is unchanging. And we're going to look at this counterculturally. We're not going to look at the newest thing. We're going to look at the ways that God has been faithful the longest and say, if he's still faithful that way, then let's set our hope in that a little bit. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's look at the Christmas story. You've heard it before. You'll be all right. Luke 1 starts like this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was, was a sentry God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. There's three things that I want to notice in here. There's three things that I think are a bit of a gift for us. And the first is that a named angel came and spoke to Mary. That's a big deal. This story is so familiar that I know it. Yeah, Gabriel comes and talks to Mary, and Mary's virgin. You don't think about any of it. No, that's a really big deal that this, this young teenage girl is engaged and all excited about her wedding, hopefully, and all this kind of stuff. And then an angel who has a name shows up. And that God shows up that way in her life. The story's so familiar, but we got to think about this kind of stuff. God went to great length to get to Mary. That's a big deal. He didn't just like tell her in a dream, which is also a big deal. We see in the very next chapter. He didn't just like give her a feeling. Didn't just draw her back to Isaiah or some scroll like that and say, hey, this is you. Didn't nudge her. Showed up as an, sent an angel 
And yes, this is an important message, but this is not just a one-off thing. There are some things in Scripture that God doesn't do again. But showing up powerfully in someone's life is not one of those things. This is a part of God's character. We know it with, with Saul, who falls to the ground because he meets Jesus on the road. We know it with Peter, who's fishing. And twice, God uses a giant catch of fish to get Peter's attention. Like, that's a pretty weird one. He does it twice. We see it with Hagar, who feels abandoned and, and her kid is dying of thirst and hunger. And then God shows up in her life. We see it with Moses in this burning bush. We see it with the wise men where they're following stars. We see it over and over again. God uses all means to show up in his people's lives. So my question is, what are you open to? Today, December 1st, what are you open to? As I read through scripture, I think I see that God is open to pretty much anything. He will utilize anything that he has created to get your attention, to show you who you are, who he is. We see that in the pages of scripture. The question is, what are you open to? One of the things that I've learned is in our culture, we are somewhat almost open to the Bible. Almost. We're open to our interpretation of some intellectual facts about the Bible. And God can meet us in, in those, those ways that we've already pre-approved. And that's, that's kind of our openness. God can kind of use Sunday morning, depending on who's speaking. If it's Jamel, he can use it. If it's me, you, you throw it through a grain of, you know, Got a little process, but like we're, we're sort of open to some of the books, some of the things in scripture and everything else. God doesn't need to use that. If he's good, he's going to meet us in the pre-approved list of scriptures. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you sat, have you sat with your Bible and said, God, will you meet me here? And then like open it up. It's a totally different experience than if you just say, hey, I'm going to read these six verses, and I'm going to be awesome at it. And I'm going to have it mean what I think it means, and then I'm going to be done. And I'm going to drop the mic and walk away. But if you say, Lord, will you meet me here? It's a totally other experience. And it kind of follows you all day. If you choose to, like, remember a phrase from a verse, all of a sudden you'll think of that phrase from that verse Throughout the day, throughout the week, someone will say it to you. You're like, get out. Were you there with me? How did this happen? That is God doing what God does, using whatever God chooses to use. And so maybe in that X amount of minutes in the morning, we're open to him using the Bible and, and prayer where we list a bunch of things and, and give him like 12 seconds to talk maybe and then shut her down. But what about the rest? What are we open to? Because I don't think the question is that God is, is really like trying to hide from us and, and where are we going to see him. I think it's he is trying to get our attention. And so where will we look for him? So I was thinking about this this week, and I was reminded of this time. I was like, I was a new dad. It was just Carter, so it was like a life ago. And I had just been on this trip visiting a friend, and my friend, like, 
knew exactly what he was going to do with his life, and he was doing awesome, right? He was changing the whole world by 25, and I was not. And I flew home, and I was like, Lord, are you going to give me purpose like that? Because I'm old now, and I need that purpose, or like, is my whole life going to be wasted? Am I going to experience you? Really sincere questions. I sound like I'm mocking myself, but, but really sincere questions that I had. I have a kid. I mean, that's good, but like, what else? Is, is this my life, or do you have like this adventure for me? I, I just, I wanted, I wanted an adventure of following God, and I wasn't sure. So I flew home, and I remember the whole flight from, from L.A. to Minneapolis. It was direct flight. I remember the whole flight was uh, Carter was sleeping. He was like two years old, and, and I was just wondering, Lord, will you meet me? Do you still do that? And they're real sincere questions. Nikki picked us up at the airport. We had about a two-hour drive, and it's the middle of the night, and, and like I always did, I met her with all these, like, deep sort of depressing questions and she met me with like a soda and chips <laughs> and was like hey lighten up a little bit and we got driving and we hit the border to Wisconsin we had an hour left and to the north were northern lights like I had never seen before and I'm telling you they danced for the whole ride home and none of those questions really were the most important. They all remained. I wanted them all still. But God met us. And it was weird. We like turned off the radio. We stopped talking. The, the road was going east, so it's scary that we were looking north the whole time. But we just watched. I'd never really seen them before. And I know that there are smart people who could tell you exactly why those northern lights were there that night and what the circumstances caused and all that. But I also can tell you, and I've read like three or four books, I'm smartish. They were there because I was driving east on 94 and had asked some questions that were really sincere from my heart saying, God, do you still show up like you showed up? And then all of a sudden he got the sky to dance. And whatever reasons, I don't even care. I don't care what I sound like to those people. I just know what I know. And God met us. And for like 15 years now, I, I, I can close my eyes and see those northern lights and remember that God met me. So this morning, I'm preparing for this. I'm praying for our time, and I'm drinking coffee because that's what I do. And I close my eyes to remember the northern lights, and God reminds me that at mile marker 19, two, two years later, I was going the other way. I was going west because our daughter was airlifted. I told you this story before. And they had said, hey, we don't know if she's going to make it, so just drive safe. She may not be alive when you arrive, which is a horrible thing to say to anybody, but we drove as safe as we could. I remember passing mile marker 19, going to Minneapolis, and I remember Nikki and I agreeing that no matter what we found, God had shown us enough that he was good. God, you are good, and I was certain that my little girl was not going to make it, but I knew that God was good, and you know the story. Anna did make it. Anna's healthier today than she's ever been in her whole life. But it has been a battle for this little girl for those 13 years since that day. But God reminded me today, this morning, when I closed my eyes and took time to, to think and ponder and sit still before him, that the same mile marker where I knew he was good was the same mile marker where I watched the sky dance with the northern lights. And God meets us. 
He meets us when we're willing. And so the question isn't, is God willing? The question is, are you and me in this Christmas season, today, this morning, are we willing? Are we willing to meet him? When you go to lunch, when you go through your afternoon, when you do what you do, are you willing to say, okay, God, if, if you want to show me a, a little bit of a wink, I, I'll watch for it. A phrase that a friend of mine uses a lot, he says, God, help me to notice you noticing me. Because you're always noticing me. But help me to notice that. And so what is God going to use? Is he going to use your friend or your family? Is he going to use a reminder of the past or a promise of the future? Is he going to use scripture or a song? What is he going to use? And it becomes like this, this joyful game where we look and expect. And we're not left wanting. Now, one of the difficulties of it is is our appetite does change when we go through life. When I was a kid, I only liked sweets. Came to holidays, I just wanted like all the like cake. We, we didn't eat a lot of cake because we're Norwegian, so it was all flatbread. You know, that potato flatbread I made and you didn't want? <laughs> and we filled it with sugar. And us kids just filled it. It was a giant like pixie stick. That's what we made. And all I wanted was sweet things, and my life made sense. That's the way God met me, was just in these, like, real sweet things. And I was talking to Miss Diana yesterday. I feel like right now in life, life's a little more savory. The emotions are a little more complex. The notes are a little more. When Scooby and Joy are talking about depression, I, I know that a little too close. In my own life, and in, in people that I love, I... I I know what it's like. I know pain a, a little more than I wanted to. But I also know God's goodness more than I expected. And I used to know that God met you in the light, but I also know that God's not afraid of the dark. And he's in the dark. I also know that sometimes when you're pressed so low, it's not as scary to fall because there's not as far to fall. And so then you fall and you notice that you just roll and you're okay and you have a community of people or you have a friend who reach out and all of a sudden life starts to make sense or at least you find God in the midst of it. And so when life becomes something besides sweet, we don't have to fear because God meets us there. Okay, second thing besides this named angel that stands out to me is, is that this begins with the angels saying, the Lord is with you. That's what the angel says. An angel shows up. Little Mary is there like, oh, hey, who are you? The Lord is with you. Okay. To me, that's a weird thing. Maybe you guys are like, well, duh, that's what he'd say. I don't know. I think that's a weird thing. I think it's weird that of all the things that the angel is going to say, he's going to say, hey, young Mary, the Lord is with you. And also with you. That's what us Lutherans would say. <laughs> but then I started to think, if that's weird to me, that that's what the angel would say, then what is that saying about me? Because it's really significant to Gabriel 
that Mary knows that the Lord is with her. And now for me, it seems a little common. Yeah, we know that God's with us. Holy Spirit came down, lives within anybody who believes, blah, blah, blah. We act like it's not a big deal. No, kind of the biggest deal in all of human history is that the Lord is with you. Not just with us, plural, but with you. Like when you go today, the Lord goes with you. And when we remember that, when that's at the bottom of the list instead of the top, when that's at the, at, at like the, one of the last things that we remember and it's the thing that's significant and important and all that, it changes everything. If you leave here and remember the Lord is with you, it doesn't really matter where you go because he's with you. And if you leave here without the Lord with you, it doesn't really matter where you go because it's not as fun. It's a lot harder. But there's no reason to have that happen. The Lord is with you. It's not just with you from a distance or with you as like an angel watching, but for anybody who chooses to believe, the Lord is within you. That's pretty close. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you. So yet we can handle our afternoon. He's within you. He's with you. This is a really big deal. Whatever he walks us into, we can handle. And so we can remember, like we sang about, that he moves mountains. And we can remember the places where he met us before. And we can pull those to the front of our mind, to the front of our memory. And then we can remember that he's with us in this. And like, oh, yeah, if he's with us and I'm open to experiencing him, however he wants me to experience him, then there's no telling what today holds. Whatever pain, whatever darkness, whatever challenge, whatever mountain we face, okay, we can do this. He's with me. He comes to this young Mary, and he doesn't say, hey, you're going to do this right. That's what I would want to hear. You can do it right. He doesn't say you're well-equipped. He doesn't even say, like, I trust you or you're good enough. He doesn't say, hey, Mary, you're the best I got. Everybody else is real screwed up. We'll roll the dice. It doesn't say any of that. He says, hey, I'm going to send the Messiah as a baby, which is a really big deal because babies are fragile and they're messy and they're kind of gross. We all say they're cute, but they're kind of gross most of the time. That's why I don't hold your baby. (laughs) This super fragile little goo factory is coming to you. And the assurance that Mary is given is the Lord is with you. The Lord's with you. Not you'll figure out how to swaddle, anything like that. Not he'll walk young and, you know, here, here's all the parenting books. He's with you. And so those three, four things on your list that you, you always remember, 
that produce the anxiety or the fear or the, I got to hustle and get this done so that I can sleep tonight or whatever that is, whatever those things on your list that are so, so important and so, so significant, just below those, right, the Lord is with you. It changes everything. And here's the thing that, that I'm learning that there's grace for. Even though those other things produce anxiety, you don't have to go hide your anxiety. You just come with it. Okay. I'm anxious and you're with me. I'm snuggled a little too close to depression and you're with me. I feel sad. I feel X. I feel Y. I feel worn out and you're with me. And all of a sudden, it changes everything. And so even if our gift that we bring to the table is just like our anxiety and our fruitcake, then we bring that to him, and he makes something beautiful because he's with us. And if that was enough for Mary, if that was enough for David, I think it's enough for us. I don't think our darkness and our challenge is so significant that it's, it's that much more than theirs. He's with you. Third, third thing that's really like an invitation for us, I think. Mary's response to this is that she, she I love the wordage here. She is much perplexed and pondering. Mary is much perplexed. That seems like a weird translation, but it's great. I feel like I need to know everything already. We often, I know each other. You know what I mean? That's, that's when somebody says, hey, I just learned. And before they finish what they said, you say, oh, yeah, I know. I already know that. Yep, I know. Check. I'm smart. We do this all the time. Hey, did you hear? Oh, I know. I didn't even tell you. I didn't even ask. Uh, but I know. I know. We don't want to be out of the loop. I think that comes from the 24-hour everything. Mary's posture throughout the book of Luke is she's pondering. I think part of the gift that God gave her is she got time to ponder. She chewed on stuff. In our culture, sadly, there's no room for mystery or discovery or questions. We have to know everything, but maybe let's live a little countercultural here. Mary ponders. See, she believes. She obeys. You read through Luke 1, she's like, okay, I'm in. I don't even know what that means, but I'm in. And at the same time, she sits and is much perplexed and ponders. And if you are somebody who, when you hear of God, you feel much perplexed and you need to ponder, then I want you to know that Scripture says the Lord is with you. That doesn't disqualify you. That's actually like a step in. There's an invitation to be more perplexed. There's an invitation to ponder more. You know why? Because you discover that he is with you more. When we ponder, we notice God noticing us. When we ponder, we experience God more and more as opposed to just saying, yeah, I already know. I got it. I got it. Yep, I know. I'm really smart. I read it once. We don't have to do that. We don't have to. There's grace for you. There's grace for me. You see, Mary's life is a bit of a permission slip for us. There, there's this guy named Jay Green who sees Mary as an accessible example. And here's what he means. 
we're invited to ponder with her, rethink and reimagine beside her, and be open to a way of perceiving the world and life within it that runs counter to the world of normal perception. The world is ever-changing. We could write down everything we know about it today. Next week, we could gather again, and most of those things would be wrong. But our God never changes. So maybe let's sit and ponder on that one a little more. Maybe let's gather together and say, like, okay, I get that everything else is, is spinning and changing and all of this, but, but my attention, bottom of my list, most important, most pressing, most significant, is the fact that God is with me. And instead of responding to God is with me, yeah, I know. Our invitation this week is to go, oh, God is with me. What does that mean? For you, like real practically, what does that mean to leave here with the reality that God wants to be with you, wants you to encounter him through scripture, yes, but through conversation, through nature, through every means that he has accessible to him? What's that mean? If you're like me and the Christmas season's a little melancholy, and you happen to think of the way Christmases were and people who are no longer here or people who you're, you're not near because of distance or something. What does it mean that he's here? That you don't have to chuck away those emotions, but you can have those and know that God is with you in this season. And if you don't know yet, then that means your invitation is to be much perplexed and pondering and sit still in that and let God speak. So real, kind of summing this up, this week, here's our invitation. That list of things that you've got running in your mind, the new things that you need to know, the new things you need to do, all those kind of things. Some of you probably actually have the list. You have a note in your phone or in your notebook or in your purse or in your wallet or something like that. Some of you may need to write down the list, but that whole list, I invite you to scramble it up. Those things still need to be done. I'm not saying they don't need to be done, but scramble it up. Mix it up, and at the bottom of the list, the most pressing thing, the most uh, important, significant thing, write that God is with you. And write that one of your tasks is to remember that God is with you and watch for spaces to realize that God is with you. And then let's come back next week. Come tell me what you found. Because here's what I know. If you honestly do that, I'm not saying do it right, but if you honestly do it, you'll come back next week and be like, you know what? I think I, think I know a couple places where God was with me. I, I, I'm pretty sure he met me because I, I was feeling this way, and then it all changed. I, I, there, was, there was a week a couple weeks ago. Where I was just down. Anna was sick. Circumstances were tough. But honestly, the bigger thing is I just I deal with depression sometimes. And I was there again. And I hadn't slept enough. I hadn't taken care of myself. I was just down. And I went for a walk. And I was like, okay, Lord, I want to meet you even here. And a friend of mine sent me a text that I needed. And uh, 
I've taken a photo of the text and reread the text over and over again because his words were real significant, but more than the words, that moment of God meeting me on that walk by a friend sending me a text, which somebody else could just explain, it's all coincidence, but they don't know as much as me. I'm smarter on this one. I know that that was a reminder that God noticed me. And I was at a speed where I could notice him noticing me. It got prompted a friend to send me a text, and that made me feel closer to my friend, but that definitely made me feel closer to my God. And you know what? The rest of that day was a little lighter, and I went to bed a little earlier because that's what I really needed to do, and I ate a little healthier, and I walked, and all of a sudden that depression doesn't feel like it felt. And I was able to let go of it and grab onto something else, which is I'm not alone, and God's with me. So scramble up your list. This week, I dare you to watch expectantly for ways that God shows up. And when he does, don't pretend you know all that it means. You don't have to. Don't pretend you know the, the significance of it and you're going to go preach on it next week. You don't have to. Instead, be much perplexed. Ponder. Sit in wonder. What I'm learning is I find more of God there. I think one of the invitations of Christmas is it's safe to be there. And I think one of the desperate things that our souls are crying out for is a place to just safely ask the questions and sit still and listen to God. And so this Christmas, if I could box it up and give it to you, that's what I'm giving you. I want to pray over us. We're going to have some people um, who would like to pray specifically for you. Jamal's going to come up here. We're also going to have a couple people in the back because it's a little easier to hear back there. Um, but if you need prayer, I want to invite you, pray. Go pray with somebody. If it feels a little scary to, to set expectation, you're not alone. If it feels a little scary to watch and wonder, you're not alone. But God meets you in that. And so let me pray over us. Let, let's kind of hold our, our hands out as if I'm giving you a gift, okay? I'm not actually going to put a gift in your hands. But let's, let's act like we are for a second. And let me pray this over us.